I wonder what you're hoping to do once the pandemic has ended, once lockdown's been fully lifted. I am very much hoping to have people in my home again and perhaps a UK holiday. I know my parents, who are in their 80s, are really looking forward to socialising again. And my young neighbours have already been to the pub. I wonder what you're hoping to do in the afterwards, whether you can even think about that. Sadly, some of us will not be able to do exactly what we wanted to do because those we wanted to do it with are no longer here on earth with us. The time after a significant event is so important. We can't change what's happened, whether good or bad, but as we have some distance from those events, we can be self-aware as we think about it, reflect on it, and hopefully learn from it. Learn about ourselves, about others, about our community, and about our world. And this last chapter of John seems like an afterwards in itself because the previous chapter ended with a summary of John's purpose of writing. He said, Jesus performed many other signs of the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And then we get this extra chapter or epilogue, which we've just had the first part read to us. So I wondered, why did he add chapter 21? He finally, she finally finishes that by saying, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that were written. I love that ending. These records were originally written on scrolls, which limited the length of each book. Did John find that he had space on the end to just squeeze in one more important thing? If so, what does chapter 21 tell us that's so crucial that he chose that from all those other stories that he had? After these things, Jesus showed himself again to his disciples. To seven of his disciples, but Peter is the focus. Afterwards. After what for Peter? after giving up his trade of fishing and the livelihood that went with it, after three years of following Jesus, of hearing radical new teaching, of seeing miraculous signs over nature, over sickness, even over death, after being the best disciple, proclaiming to the others he's the Messiah before all the others did, and for saying that he would never stop following Jesus, that he would never leave him. Where would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. After being the worst disciple, needing Jesus to rebuke him, away from me, Satan, as he tried to stop Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem, of denying knowing Jesus three times as he was waiting by the fire when Jesus was arrested after the brutal killing of Jesus, after the pain and the grief, after the confusion of the empty tomb, after seeing Jesus twice in a closed room, after this new risen Jesus had said, peace be with you, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. After Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, it has been a roller coaster of experiences and emotions for all of Jesus' family, friends and community. They've got a lot to think on, a lot to reflect on. And here we have 
this recollection from John of what happened at this key time for Peter. Afterwards, on this day for Peter, is fishing what he used to do before he met Jesus, which is, he's probably still really good at, back to fishing, back to what he knows. On this day, six of the others go with him in the boat. And we can't really know how Peter is feeling. Hopeful, hopeless, possibly disillusioned, possibly confused, perhaps just wanting, on to, get with, wanting to get on with life, to get back to normal, whatever that normal might look like. They all have a lot to process. Lots of commentators see Peter as running away at this point, but I often reflect best when I'm doing something practical. We're all different. Perhaps that's what's going on in Peter's head. There's time for rest and quiet reflection, but it's okay to be busy, to get on doing something useful. Peter went fishing. Jesus can meet with us in the midst of our work or our play. Many of our great Christian mystics have found that they draw closer to God in the routines of their daily lives if they just allow Jesus to be part of that. Jesus can be anywhere. Don't let us limit his intervention to our lives to just quiet moments in church or even in prayer. God is not limited. By the power of his Holy Spirit, he can be in any situation if we have eyes to see and hearts to respond. Here we have Jesus standing on the shore early in the morning. The disciples don't recognise him, but they're in a boat a long way off. It's the early morning light. That's fair enough. But Jesus has come to find them. He's seen them twice before in their houses, but this time he finds them outside. I wonder how we can be found by Jesus when we're struggling or lost, or adrift, confused, or disillusioned. I think we can find some pointers in these verses of how we can respond when Jesus looks for us, how to allow Jesus to minister to us in the afterwards of a crisis or significant event, even as we process our thoughts and emotions and rebuild our lives. As they were fishing, Jesus called out to them from the shore, friends, other versions say children, Have you got any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets to the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. When Peter had first met Jesus, there had been a similar night of unsuccessful fishing recorded in Luke 5. Then Jesus, previously a carpenter by trade, had told Peter, an experienced fisherman, how to fish. Peter learnt that day that Jesus' knowledge and power outstripped his own human expertise and experience. That day, as they hauled in an exceptionally large catch of fish on board, Peter was afraid. He said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. But Jesus already knew that, and he called Peter to follow him, and he wanted him to lead his church. Now, three years later, we have a similar situation. All night fishing, no fish. Working hard, going without sleep, with nothing to show for it, tired, hungry, fed up. At this point in the story, Peter hasn't yet remembered Jesus' mastery over nature, the seas, his boat, the fickle fish. His friend John has, though, and he shouts, it's the Lord, and Peter responds immediately. In true Peter style, quickly pulls on his clothes and jumps off the boat, heading straight for Jesus. When we're disillusioned or have had a hard time, 
We need to spend some time in community with other people who know and love Jesus. Many of us have been isolated due to the COVID restrictions and may have become used to that. It's been a long time now. We, are going to, we, we may have got out of the rhythm of going to church or meeting with others and we'll need to put some time and energy into re-establishing those important connections. Being in community with other Christians is essential to our spiritual well-being. Christianity is a team game. We're all essential parts of the body. We need one another or we'll risk becoming isolated from God's plans and purposes. If you don't have any good friends who know Jesus, then get some. We all need them. That's what missional communities and midweek groups are about, meeting people who also try to follow Jesus, learning together, helping to see one another in the Bible, but to see Jesus in the Bible, but also in our everyday lives, remembering for others how Jesus has acted before, reminding one another that he's promised never to leave or forsake us. Ask me or Dan or Georgia or Katie if you'd like to find out more about that. Thankfully, Peter's with his community. He doesn't understand who the man on the shore is, but John does. He realises it isn't just anyone, it's Jesus. That the huge, unexpected catch of fish isn't just a coincidence. John remembers that this is just the sort of thing that's happened before with Jesus. And Peter listens to John. He is his friend. They have been through so much together. John is able to help Peter see what he can't see for himself, to remember what he's temporarily forgotten. Even though his feelings have overcome the facts, John tells Peter, and Peter listens and responds immediately, it's Jesus. So we have community, Christian fellowship to sustain and support us. And then we get commitment. Once Peter does realise it's Jesus, he responds immediately. His body may have been on the boat, but his heart and mind are waiting for Jesus, even if subconsciously. When he has the chance to be with Jesus, he jumps at it, literally right out the boat. I'm surprised he remembered to put his clothes on. He stops what he was doing, responds immediately. He takes the opportunity. He doesn't worry about what other people might think. And it's easy to disdain Peter here as well as other places in history of following Jesus. He has at times been impetuous, and said foolish things before he's thought about them. But his lack of pretension wins him healing and strength that he could never have imagined. Peter is full out for Jesus, for better, for worse. And Jesus goes on to show that he is full out for him. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. So Simon Peter climbs back in the boat and gets the fish. And it was full, the net, full of large fish. Even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And then we have this communion, Jesus with the disciples. Jesus has Peter's full attention now. Sometimes we need to be fully focused on Jesus, switch off all the distractions, give him our total attention. This can be so difficult in our modern world. But neuroscience shows we can only truly do one thing at a time. When we're multitasking, we are giving nothing our full attention, but flitting from one thing to another. Peter probably still doesn't understand why Jesus is asking to do some of these things, but now he's fully engaged, obedient, no questions asked, not talking, listening, watching, waiting.
Jesus already has a charcoal fire going with dried fish on it, and he's brought some bread. He asks the disciples to bring some of their fresh fish. Jesus has prepared a meal for them to have together. They are to share this food and this time together, relaxing, reacquainting. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. With his actions, Jesus recalls the miraculous feeding of the 5,000 by the same lake. Taking and giving echo the Eucharistic meal of the Last Supper. Pictures in catacombs and early churches use images of fish and bread for communion as often as the cup of wine. When do we sit down with Jesus? Not asking for him for stuff or squirming about what we've got wrong, but just spending time with him. Enjoying that time, enjoying food, wine, enjoying his company. Our service of communion in church is sacred and full of rich symbolism, but sometimes misses this element of communing together in a more relaxed way. But that's okay because we can do that at other times. If we have a meal with another group of Christians in our family homes or even on our own, I often have a cup of tea with Jesus in the mornings, just the two of us, before I look at the news or get too busy. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. The rest of this chapter goes on to tell of Jesus taking Peter off for a one-to-one after the meal, going for a walk together along the shoreline. We don't know how Peter felt about that, but we know he went. He came back a different man. The same Peter, but forgiven, healed, renewed, ready to become the leader of the early church. Jesus found Peter, and Peter responded. His friends helped him to see Jesus when he couldn't see for him for himself, remembering how Jesus had worked in Peter's life before. He had a community to encourage him. Peter was committed to Jesus when he got an opportunity. He went straight away. He didn't delay or procrastinate. He didn't miss his chance to move forward, however difficult that was going to prove to be. And Peter spent time communing with Jesus, preparing himself to go deeper, to receive healing and a difficult commission. So what answers does that have for those of us who are facing disillusionment at this point in the pandemic? What hope is there for those of us who are hurting? However low we feel, whatever we've been through, Jesus has promised he will never leave or forsake his followers. In fact, it is the opposite, as we can see here. He will actively come and find us. He came to find Mary in her overwhelming grief. He found Thomas in a locked room when he didn't believe Jesus was alive. He found Peter, who'd messed up time and time again, despite being the proposed leader. Jesus comes and finds them. He knows where they will go and what they will be doing. He doesn't sit somewhere else waiting for them to come to him, not on some throne or a sacred building. He doesn't wait for them to clean up their act or get their hearts or their minds sorted out on their own. He comes and he finds them, hot and sweaty, on a beach, working, aimless, lost, disillusioned. Jesus comes to find them, and if you're a follower of Jesus, he will come and find you and me. Wait for him with a community of other Christians 
be committed to him, spend time communing with him. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you can still ask him to find you. He will still look for you. He will still find where you are.